I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The street's big bet on tech as money continues to pour into that space. Is the best trade of 2020 sure to continue into the new year? We discussed that, debated as well with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Steve Weiss, Pete Nigerian, Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth, Bryn Talkington, managing partner at Requisite Capital Management. Anastasia Amoroso is the head of cross asset thematic strategy for JP Morgan's private bank. Happy Friday. Good to see everybody today. Let's check the wall. We did hit record highs again. We've come back, obviously, for the Dow down nearly 200, SP negative by a half percent. NASDAQ in the red as well. The Russell bucking the trend right now. All right, Steve Weiss, I want to start with a note from Bank of America today because they say that you have an all-time record inflow into global stocks, the largest outflows from cash in four months, the 10th largest ever. And where's that money going? Record inflows into technology. Is that the right way to continue to play this market, Steve? With, without a doubt, that is the right way to play the market. Look, I think that the so-called reopening trades have been picked over. We'll talk about that a little later in the block. But people are losing sight that we're, we're at a seminal moment here, and it's been brought forward by the pandemic, but it's the fourth industrial revolution. And what we're seeing is all these tech stocks are playing broadly into the economy. So that's why the money's going there. And by the way, they're cheaper. So, and you've got better growth. So when you talk about a company like Qualcomm, you're not talking about technology. You're talking about a Qualcomm in a Peloton bike. You're talking about it in a Vuzix glasses. You're talking about it in warehouses. You're talking about an exponential, total addressable market that you can't even calculate right now. So why play around and hope that the economy is going to do so much better? I think it will. But why do that when companies that are in this reopening trade, I'm not talking about the airlines and the cruise lines, I'm talking about some of the backbone industrial companies like Honeywell that are already expressing that multiple, so, selling at a well, you premium to the S&P you, where those are selling a discount. You sold Honeywell, right, on that note? I, I did. I, well, I didn't sell on that note. I, I sold it anyway because Everybody that everybody owns Honeywell, and I know. Look, everybody owns Amazon. Everybody owns Microsoft. But I look at the valuation. Now, I see Honeywell at a 26 PE for next year, and the earnings, cyclical earnings, are going to go up 20 percent. And I see Corvo that's selling at 16 times next year, and their earnings are going from 365 to nine dollars. Or Qualcomm selling at 16 times with greater growth, or Skyworks. So you name it. So that's where I'd rather okay. be. I'd rather be in the companies that are going to be leading this next generation of this industrial rev- revolution. All right, Shan. So, you know, for all this talk about the reopen trade and all this talk about the cyclical trade and the epicenter that people keep talking about in the optimism post-vaccine, Bank of America says all this money continues to go into tech. And UBS says don't worry about tech being a bubble because they say, We don't think it's time to sell the sector on bubble concerns. The IT sector looks, they say, appropriately valued relative to other sectors, given current expectations for future cash flows and discount rates. They write. NASDAQ's been up a ton. Yeah, 
I mean, I think Steve makes a good point. Um, I know that's surprising. It must be Friday for me to say that. But in this case, he's making a great point. I think hey. that if you think about what technology what technology represents, um, I'm crabby today about Tesla, so I, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I think that what we are looking at is we're looking at this scenario whereby technology as a sector is very broad. We saw technology be split between communication services and traditional tech. And honestly, we probably need another split now if you think about it in terms of the way you're actually investing in technology. Because big technology, mature technology, the Microsofts of the world, they're absolutely going to participate in this reopening trade. They don't even need the reopening trade, but it's not like they're not going to benefit. And I don't disagree. If I look at areas like materials and energy, I know those are supposed to be cyclical sectors I get really excited about. But, you know, I'm not as excited about them across the board. I still think that we need to be focused, Scott, on differentiation within the sectors. And I think what you're seeing now is you're seeing a lot of that cash on the sidelines, which we've seen coming into the market, which is a positive to sustain equity gains until next into next year. I think it's coming into the safe places because they've been in cash. So they're not going to jump in and put overweights into the energy sector if they've been in cash all this time. They're going to buy the winners, and that's what we're seeing. I do think that the second derivative of that is this broadening out into some of the more cyclical areas. I think there is going to be differentiation and divergence within those cyclicals. I don't agree with Steve in that they've all been picked through. I think there's still opportunities in those sectors, particularly in areas like financials. But I acknowledge the fact that if you're investing on this thematic undercurrent of technology being a part of every sector and industry, which we have been for the last few years, I would say that there's continued room to run here. And the the bubble, you know, questions back to 1999, there are stocks and sectors and and, and sub-industries within the technology sector that are troublesome from a valuation perspective, but it's not at the top. Pete, you know, part of Steve's point you know, seems to be, it's too hard. I mean, why continue to have to go and, and look for all these picked over cyclical stocks that have had a lot of money go into them recently and they've all had bursts in their, in their own right when you just go to what's worked? Yeah. Why fight what has been a great tape for tech? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Scott. I think the reality is that we kept hearing from so many people, well, it's you got to go to value. you got to get out of growth. Well, we just continue to hit new highs, it seems like, almost every day. As a matter of fact, we have been hitting new highs in the NASDAQ almost every day. And a lot of that has been led by technology. Obviously, biotechs participated. And Steve pointed out a lot of these semiconductor names because they are involved in just about every aspect of life into almost every single sector that you can name. So I do think, Scott, that there, is, that there are names that are quality names that maybe took a pause. We talk about the FANG names all the time, and we look at that pause that we've seen even out of, like, the Microsofts or Apples or whatever it might be. That doesn't mean it's over, and it's understandable to me that you would, if you were taking money and putting it in fresh today, I think there is still more growth upside in those types of names. And whether it's technology or the semiconductor space, many of those semis have not moved as rapidly, or if they have, they've moved rapidly for all the right reasons because of the fact we are seeing those growth numbers that are absolutely off the charts, right? So when you see earnings uh, numbers that are going up at the kind of a rate, like Steve pointed out, 
you start to look at the PEs, they're not overpriced. I think there's a lot of different opportunities out there throughout many of these areas. But I will say this, the materials have been absolutely on fire for not just the last week or two weeks or five weeks, about seven or eight weeks. We've been watching these moves out of U.S. Steel, out of Freeport Mac, you name it, Vale, all of these areas where we continue to see that movement to the upside and the derivatives markets telling me that's not over because they continue to buy upside and roll in a lot of these different material names. Brandon, it seems to me it's just hard to make the call that large cap tech is, I don't know, overvalued relative to interest rates. I mean, you can make the case maybe to some of those other names that, you know, they stay at home plays that have flown this year. But, you know, 30 times earnings from most of the fangs, obviously not Amazon in that basket, but nonetheless, 30 times earning, you've had multiples expand. Rates are low. Rates are going to stay low. That's where the action is. That's where the growth is. The fangs, though, as Pete said, they haven't done much since September. Basically a sideways trade. Yeah, well, maybe a sideways trade somewhat since September, but, but year to date and the past 10 years, even further, they've done incredible. So, I mean, I think someone could make the case. I think that case would be wrong that big tech doesn't, does, does worse than value. But I really think you're setting up where when you look back and say, what's going to do well next year? Well, I think what does well next year is what's done well this year. But when you look at big tech, though, those are the most consistent earnings that we have in the world, and they have happened to be here in the U.S. And so I think people making broad wholesale shifts out of tech into value, I think that's going to be another widow-maker trade. And that's not how asset allocation and portfolio construction works. But I definitely think you want to be overweight these big names. I mean, Apple's going to have a great Christmas. That means Taiwan Semiconductor that makes the chips for Apple, that manufactures a lot of these chips. And to Steve's points, Corvo. There's so many big companies with really high-quality earnings. And when I say high-quality, it's that consistency that we know quarter after quarter they're going to continue to grow. I think the comps in some of these deep value names will clearly be so easy to beat. But in those deep value names, after this year, I think these, a lot of those stocks will be more richly valued because those comps are just going to be easy this year, and we all know that, and we'll look through that. Okay. But, I mean, I definitely stay, stay long, big, tech, big cap tech. So you, you mentioned um, Apple, right? There's three mm-hmm. positive notes on Apple. I mean, it's not a shock that the street continues to love Apple. Citi's got five reasons why Apple can go higher as if you really needed five. The price target they raised to 150 from 125. They go with their buy rating still. Katie Huberty, Morgan Stanley, we believe iPhones outperforming expectations in China. Wells Fargo on Apple, overweight rated Apple remains one of our top ideas in hardware. As we believe the 5G iPhone upgrade cycle will prove to deliver greater upside than the street currently expects. Weiss, you own Apple. Pete, you own Apple. Shan, you own Apple. Bryn, Apple's your largest holding. So, Weiss... uh, why not? Why not Apple? Even here? Yeah. So I'm not selling any. And I've been saying for quite some time that the 5G phone will be Apple's biggest product launch ever. And 5G is not even really about the consumer. It's about the industrial uses. So, yes. Yeah, so they're coming out. Look, they came out with the headphones, uh, the, the new over-the-ear AirPods. They priced them at almost twice what a Bose is or the top Sony, which I have, there's no difference. So their pricing power is unbelievable. And it's so rare to see a company with their longevity still be the go-to brand where they can command premium pricing and get premium margins. So, yeah, so I think that there's been some missteps. Maybe they missed, like, Apple Plus is still neither here nor there. 
but the product sales are going phenomenally mm -hmm. well. And as they integrate with the chipset, with their faster chip that, you know, it's only going to increase margins. So, yes, Apple here. Okay. That brings me to Anastasia. Anastasia, nice to see you. Are we in a bubble or not? Is the NASDAQ in a bubble? We've had 52 different record highs this year alone for the NASDAQ. NASDAQ's up like 40% on the year. It's up 80% from the lows. Should we worry or not? Uh, it is up a lot, but Scott, it is just not possible to invest without investing in tech. And no, I don't think the NASDAQ is in a bubble. The reason why we're seeing some of the valuations and some is because there's earnings growth to back it up. To Brin's point, the large cap tech is delivering very solid earnings growth. But I would say even smaller cap tech, that's where we actually see some of the greatest opportunity for double digit earnings growth. And I also want to pick up on something that Steve has said on 5G and the 5G opportunity. We're so early in this digital transformation journey, and he's absolutely right that 5G is nice for all of us, the consumers, but the true application for 5G is actually going to be an enterprise technology and what we call the factory of the future, enabling automation. 5G is at the very core of that. So maybe it is not the trade for 2021 to invest in tech broadly, but I think you still want to be in tech and you want to be selective of where you put your tech dollars. I think the trade for 2021 is the rotation from some of the higher multiple and maybe more secular software names and technology, and you want to add a little bit of cyclicality. So this is why outside of technology, we look at the industrials and automation sector, but if you think about it, a lot of it is technology enabled. If you look at software, for example, that goes into the smart factory, that software, the digital twin software, is going to grow at 62% CAGR for the next few years. And it is cyclical, so it's not done quite as well this year. So that's how I would be looking to position there. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, tech is still the trade, but there's also tremendous growth opportunities outside of the classic tech. And tech has done well, NASDAQ has, but look at clean energy, look at electric vehicles. Some of those leading ETFs are up 100% this year, and we think this is just a start and a lot more to that trade to go I mean, in that, that, That's one area that people point to as a possible bubble, right, EV. And that, that, well, doesn't, that doesn't make you in, in any way, I mean, yes, they're up a lot, like 100, if not they, a lot 100 of percents. But yeah, that makes some people nervous yeah. and thinking that we're in a bubble, and that's one of the key areas to look. But look, if you look at the valuations, not only that the PE multiple, because I'll agree with you, the valuations of clean energy, they have doubled since the beginning of this year. But you have to adjust that for growth. And when you have some of the clean energy companies that are growing at 30, 40, 50 percent per year, they can overcome some of those challenging valuations. So on the PE to growth, some of those companies are not all that stretched. And when it comes to electric vehicles, if you look at the long-term chart, we've always circled 2020. 2021 is the year of inflection, when the cost of an EV is going to roughly converge with the cost of the conventional car. And we're roughly there. So that just means the trajectory, the growth trajectory is just about to take off. All right. I want to know what you guys think but about. Scott, what, if, yeah, go ahead, Weiss. Can I just add one thing? Clean energy, you can make a lot of money, and a lot of money is being made without EVs, which I do think are a bubble. Not all the EV cars are going to do well. That's ridiculous. They're not all going to be Tesla. But I own, as I talked about, Brookfield Renewable Partners. I own AY, which is a new position, with, with a great yield, which is also in the same business, renewable energy. When you take a look at the Biden proposal and who, how he's put, who he's put into office, 
and see that we're lagging the rest of the world, any part of the rest of the world, in terms of renewable energy. There's plenty of room for those. Vestor Wind Systems makes the windmills. That's the place you want to be in clean energy, in my view, not in EVs right now. All right. So, Shan, if we look ahead to, to 21 and, and, you know, try and figure out what the market's going to do and where you want to be positioned within it, I, I want to know if you guys agree with what Tom Lee told us yesterday. You're going to get a correction more than likely, he said. Maybe it's in February. Maybe it goes February to April. You go down 10 percent or so. But then you're going to have a huge boom and you could get a 25 percent run in stocks after that. I want to revisit what Tom told us. And then we can kick it around and debate it on the other side, as well as go through some of the names that could be winners in that scenario. Here's Tom Lee. I think an economic boom should follow. Um, if anyone's looking at China, uh, it, that's a template. I mean, China is going absolute gangbusters. And we know there's a lot of pent-up demand. And on top of that, I think we're going to be looking at two conditions that really add hugely to risk, risk on or equity risk premium falling. One is the volatility should be dropping you know, we averaged the third highest level of VIX in the history of the VIX in 2020. Every time you've had that elevated VIX, it drops pretty steadily over the next three years. I mean, I think we're talking sub 15 VIX within two years. And the second is negative real rates are going to be minus 6% next year. That's a real incentive to be acquiring real assets. And that's historically been very good for cyclical stocks. So I think that that triple combination takes us to at least 4,300 on the S&P, probably higher. Okay, that's Tom Lee yesterday with us. Shan, that makes sense to you? I mean, you can quibble over, you know, the, the size of the correction or when it comes, if in fact it comes at all. Right. But this notion that you're going to get a second half, a backloaded boom, we can call it from now on, into the stock market, and you could go 4,300 seems reasonable. He said maybe even more than that. Yeah, we can quibble on that as far as the magnitude of the timing. And that's not, you know, for us from a long term perspective, that's not all that important. What is important is that, you know, we're trying to um, make sure that our clients understand that we do expect there to be some sort of pullback in the first quarter. And that's going to be based on the economic data that we're going to continue to see deteriorate. You know, we're already seeing those data points. We're going to see more of those data points in January. This enthusiasm about um, a new administration is going to then switch over to what is the new administration actually going to do. Um, this optimism about Inauguration Day is going to fade, and we're going to be you know, really faced with a very difficult economic situation, particularly for working-class Americans. And that's going to need to have the full focus of the Biden administration in that first quarter. That's going to offer the opportunity, however, to reposition your portfolios if you haven't already done so, even more so for that second half of the year. And so adding risk in areas, not just in the tr traditional cyclicals we talked about, but in other areas of the market, I think that we're looking, we focus solely on the S&P 500. That's the way that we talk about things. But I think broadly, any sort of pullback in the first quarter, which we are anticipating, would just be yet another opportunity to reposition for a very strong second half of the year in equities. Um, and, I, you know, I think that the, there is no alternative versus bonds from a Fed perspective. The Fed is in accommodation mode for the next couple of years. Powell made that very clear last week. Yeah. Anastasia, your firm, J.P. Morgan, is at the top of the heat the mountaintop. 4,400 is the price target from J.P. Morgan. You must agree with Tom Lee then. 
<laughs> look, um, I do agree with a lot of those points. Uh, I do think if you look at the market tactically just now, we have come a long way in a short period of time. So I do think there's room for some tactical consolidation here. Uh, and we have a couple of events to look out for, like the Georgia elections, for example. But when you look past that, it is just very difficult to ignore the accommodative financial conditions and the pile of money that is looking to come back into the market. We can talk about the retail investor, the institutional investor, the money that needs to get back into ETFs and mutual funds. But I also want to bring SPACs into the equation as well. As you know, this has been a banner year for SPAC activity. They're half of the IPO market, if not more, this year which means that all this money has been raised, this money is gonna to have to be put to work. And so somewhere around 300 billion in potential acquisition target value is what could come into the market in 2021 and 2022. So if the fundamental backdrop was not constructive enough, I think you have this significant uh, technical factor working to your advantage as well. Okay, Bryn, so you go, let's say we get 10% correction, you go 25, boom, you go 15 in total. Does that sound reasonable to you? Sure. I do want to make a point about about sell-offs because I don't I, I don't think we do a, a great job in general in our in our business talking about sell-offs is that we act like there's some type of unicorn that rarely happen. But if you look back to 1980, the average, once again the average, so it's gotten a lot worse, the average drop per year since 1980 has been a 14% sell-off per year. And so I totally agree with Tom Lee. You have the technical setting up right now where on every technical whether it's Tuner Day moving average, Bollinger Bands, what have you, everything is very oversold. So sure, we could see that sell-off because it happens all the time. But to all of the points that, 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 that my colleagues just walked through, people are gonna be buyers. The Fed is just too accommodative. It looks like the baby boomers are getting back in because they were one of the main people, the main constituents to get out in March when you had all that money go into money markets. And to Bank of America's notes, having that record month into equity inflows, that's the baby boomer money, you know, really following the Robin Hood money that have been in the option markets all year. So I think if we get a sell-off, it's normal. Um, buckle up and, and, and buy stocks because there is no alternative in the public markets um, outside of equities. Pete, my note says aggressively trade. This is this what Pete told our producer today. Aggressively trading, making a lot of very near-term moves. I don't trust the market. What does that mean? You sound like your brother right. now who's worried and trying to sell a lot of stuff near-term. I'm not as worried as John is, but the, the reality is this. I'll give you a great example. Yesterday, I had 14 different trades on, Scott. Twelve of those were buys. A couple were sells. So it gives you a little idea of where my mindset is right now. And I'm ready to trade very, very rapidly. And you're getting results more rapidly than we've ever seen. It's been incredible. And we're looking at a volatility index. And Tom Lee's talking about it maybe going to 15. Well, right now, trading somewhere between, call it 22 and 23, we've been bouncing back and forth, sort of stuck there. But it's created so many opportunities, Scott. I'm telling you, the derivatives market has been an, on absolute fire. And it's not just Robin Hood. It's just the public in general. And I think they're seeing more and more of this because the average this week right now as we stand is about 35 million contracts per day. Last year, we averaged 20 million per day. Gives you a little bit of an idea, a perspective of just how much activity we are seeing. And that activity, it's not all extremely short term, but a lot of it is very short term. And they're getting those moves. They're getting results. I literally bought, sold, bought, sold in PayPal twice this past week. 
Um, and now I'm officially out of that one. But if I see more options come in, I'll be right back in it because trading, the trading environment, I have never seen it better. And this really started to get an unbelievable level when we got basically call it right at the election time, right at the start of November. And for the last six weeks, call it seven weeks, maybe the, the volumes are there. The, abil the, the ability to trade in and out is there. It's un incredibly liquid. And I've never quite seen it the way it is right now, Scott. So, yeah, I'm not worried necessarily about when we're going to pull back. I do believe, like Tom Lee does, that we will see a pullback. And that will create another opportunity because, of course, whenever we get pullbacks, there's always that panic selling that you see that overdoes it. We do it to the upside. We do do it to the downside and that again will create opportunity so you are, have bought calls pete in uh, ArcelorMittal, yep. um, twitter yep. budweiser datadog yep. redfin something called marathon patent group now i, I hesitate yep. a little bit to bring it up but i i do because i mean the market cap is above the threshold that i'm comfortable talking about uh, on this show i see 625 million dollars i want you to talk about that one yep. and i want you to be extremely specific well, i'm already for, out of <laughs> You're already out of it. I'll, I'll just tell you. No, forget uh, yeah, If you're I'm already, already out, out of it, I don't want to talk about it. Let's not talk about it. If you're already right, out of it, then forget it. Because I was going to ask yeah. you to be yeah. extra specific yep. for our viewers if it was an extremely short-term yeah. thing. So you're out of it anyway. Forget and it. It was. But tell me about these <laughs> other ones yeah, that, that, that you got into. Yeah, that was a couple. That was a couple-hour trade, and, and I think that the opportunities that we see out there, Scott, are absolutely extraordinary, and we see it all the time, and especially, I've been talking about basic materials now six, seven weeks, eight weeks, something like that, and, it's, and I, it, I will continue to talk about it until I start to see any flows slow down. So, ArcelorMittal fits into that category, right? I've been so happy with the results that we've gotten out of a U.S. deal from where it started and out of Valet from where it started and a variety of these other names. Freeport Mac has been on an absolute screaming run to the upside. We've watched the price of copper go from $2 to over $3 in a fairly short time frame. That means they are printing money. And, and, and so is Tech Resources, which is a name that I just took off yesterday as well. So I think that that space in general, Scott, is, has just been... Um, not enough people have focused on it. Not enough folks have, have really taken note of the materials and where they are going. Obviously, energy has been very volatile. We've watched that move to the upside as well. Datadog and some of these other names, those are high flyers. Those are trades because I am not going to own these names. And I know going in, I'm looking at them. I'm not looking at PE. I already know where it is. It's, it's off the charts. But those are trades, and those give us opportunity. And when the markets are screaming to the upside like they have, we just had another run even this morning in, in terms of the national. NASDAQ, those are the opportunities, but you've got to be very, very light on your feet and be able to sell and not be married to any of these positions because there are so many of them that are great trading, but I don't necessarily think the stocks in the long term are going to be able to sustain the levels that they've reached already. Okay. Um, we'll do this. We're going to take a quick break. Anastasia, we got a lot of people on the show today. Are you able to stick around? Can you, can you hang out or do you have to bounce? I sure can, yes. All right. Why don't you hang out? We'll take a break. We'll come back. I want to get to Weiss's trades. We got a lot of calls in the day, and I want to talk to Anastasia about some of the sectors within that, too. Check out the mystery chart as well. It's almost doubled in the past couple of months. A big buy call on it today. We reveal the name, tell you about some other big analyst calls you need to know about. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. I'm Morgan Brennan, and here's what's happening at this hour. The U.S. has added dozens of Chinese companies to a trade blacklist, including top chip maker SMIC and the world's largest drone maker, SZDJI Technology. 
French President Emmanuel Macron taking to Twitter to say he's doing fine after testing positive for the coronavirus. He says he's working more slowly than usual, but remains on top of all key issues, including Brexit talks. And Rupert Murdoch joining the early wave of people getting vaccinated for COVID-19. A spokesman for the 89-year-old billionaire saying he got the shot in Britain, where he has been isolating since the summer. The NBA has approved the sale of the Utah Jazz, meanwhile, to a group led by tech billionaire Ryan Smith. The 42-year-old Smith is now the youngest controlling owner in the league. And that is our CNBC News update for this hour. Back over to you, Scott. Morgan, thank you so much, Morgan Brennan. All right, Steve Weiss, you sold Baba, Alibaba. Tell me about that first, and I got some others I want to talk to you about. Sure. Alibaba just became too hard. There's so much going on with China that you don't know what she's going to do, and you don't know what Jack Ma, who's not in an operating role, but still a big owner, is going to do. And I just saw too many opportunities to make money rather than constant aggravation every day. There's no doubt it's going to bounce. Maybe I'm selling at the low, but when I look at the return that versus others, I was comfortable selling Baba and not having that headache. You initiated positions, however, in Vulcan materials and U.S. concrete. Hello, infrastructure. Exactly right. So, you know, one thing that the that that I think both parties agree on is an infrastructure bill. And the way I'm looking at things is that panacea for the market, in my view, are the Democrats taking Georgia, not because I'm a Democrat, but because then you have the majority. But you'll still have enough Democrats that don't want a tax bill. So it'll be perfect. And then you'll get this huge infrastructure bill coming out. Vulcan is an aggregate company. It goes into all forms of construction. It's the leader in the world, not just the U.S. And U.S. concrete is a little further down the risk, count, the risk schedule, but I like it as well. Concrete, highways, buildings. We need it. It's sorely overdone, as I said. Both parties agree. Look for multiple hundreds of billions of dollars in an infrastructure plan. Anastasia, should that be one of our investment themes, playing an expected infrastructure bill? Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the additional catalysts that maybe will play out in 2021. But I think adding to infrastructure can happen even without the actual infrastructure push. We are early cycle here and things like industrials and semiconductors tend to do pretty well in that cycle. So that's really the main reason why we'd be adding to it. I mean, when I look at infrastructure, when I look at manufacturing, you're already seeing some of those surveys pick up. You're seeing CapEx intentions improve quite a bit. And I'll double down on the point around automation. I think where industries, manufacturing is going to be looking to invest is in automating their factory because the reality is robots do not get sick, do not, they do not spread the virus, and the productivity can be improved as a result of that. So if you look at our manufacturing sector, we've not seen the productivity gains rise since 2011. And especially now, as we embark on the cyclical recovery, I think companies are going to be looking for ways to boost their EPS, to boost their productivity. So I think anything that's tied to the factory, to manufacturing automation, is going to do quite well. Yeah. I mentioned before the break, we do have several big calls on Wall Street today. Rahel Solomon has checked those out for us and has the details. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So let's start with Bank of America raising its price target for Penn National Gaming to 101 a share from $85 as it points to adoption or likely adoption in certain states as a catalyst to buy. And Scott, this tops off what's already been a great week for the stock is up 27% in that time period and also 265% this year. Jeffrey is making two upgrades in the retail space. So both Kohl's and Macy's are now buys. So on Kohl's, Jeffrey's expects attractive free cash flow as customers begin to return shopping. And for Macy's, analysts expect it to also benefit from higher discretionary spending next year. 
T-Mobile is named the top pick in North America by Morgan Stanley. As it says that the company has the right ingredients to be the 5G leader. You can see shares are up fractionally. And Scott, turning to those hot home builders, Barclays upgrading Pulte Group to overweight from equal weight and then downgrading Lennar to equal weight from overweight. So on Pulte, the firm notes that it likes the idea of owning home builders, home builders. On Lennar, meantime, the downgrade is mainly on valuation as it continues to fire on all cylinders, according to the analysts, but says that it also sees less opportunity for upside in 2021. And on saying with Barclays, the firm also raising its price target on Moderna to $169 from $84 a share. Analysts here saying that Moderna's COVID vaccine could be best in class based on efficacy and safety, and that investors can expect some near-term upside from the global vaccine launch. Orders, Scott, have already exceeded 500 million doses. The stock, by the way, also up more than 600% this year. Scott. Right. Appreciate it, Rahel. Thank you. Good weekend to you, Rahel Solomon. All right, Pete, they don't like your Lennar. They downgrade and they say the valuation is a yep. problem. Now the street is like a repudiating it today because, as you saw, Lennar is up. Mm-hmm. What do you do with housing, though, more, more broadly? I think you, you just have to understand what your issues are, right, Scott? So um, I'm still long toll. I'm still our long DR Horton in terms of stock. But uh, the options, yes, I am in Lennar as well. Um, I think the reality is we know what their biggest headache is right now. It's the price of lumber. And that, other than that, they are in a really sweet spot right now, I think. And they'll continue to have that sweet spot. But the one overhang is going to be the cost, of course, of, of lumber. So I think these names are still very inexpensive. I still think there's upside. And I understand why they decided to shift around and, and downgrade uh, where Lennar was because of that performance that it had. That's just discipline, I think, from the analyst. But I think the reality is... All of these names still have upside, and I think, uh, I think other than unless we see more issues go on with lumber pricing, I think they're going to be able to, 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 to move around that and start to shift in terms of some of the selling. You know, Anastasia, you had the calls that Rahel just told us about uh, on Coles and Macy's upgraded to buy over at Jefferies. And at the beginning of the show, when I said you had all this money as Bank of America was looking at their flow show, as they call it, their flows into stocks, you had those record weekly inflows into tech, $4 billion. Consumer was right behind at $3.1 billion. So with these calls in retail, should we be betting bigger now on the consumer? Uh, you know, consumers should certainly have a good year in 2021. But I do feel like we've seen such a sharp snap back already in some of those stocks. So I'm actually looking for value in some of those other sectors. And, you know, one of the calls was the upgrade of Moderna or the positive view there. And biotech is where I would actually be looking for, you believe it, some value opportunities. Because when you look at the sector, the healthcare sector broadly, healthcare and financials are the cheapest sector on the in the S&P 500 right now. But the potential from, you know, the breakthroughs that we're actually seeing from these mRNA vaccines, they can be extrapolated to many, many other things like, for example, personalized cancer treatments. So when I look at the biotech sector, it is trading cheap uh, and the earnings potential is 27% per year for the next several years. So as I think about allocating some of those dollars, I would rather uh, be looking for upside in some of the underappreciated sectors like that. All right. You have yourself a good weekend, good end of year. Thanks for sticking around a little bit longer for us today. We'll see you on the other side in 21. All right, Anastasia Amoroso joining us there. We've got Pete's Unusual Activity. We'll do it next. All right, Pete, Unusual, talk to me. Yeah, I got an unusual unusual. And the reason I say that is I'm going back to Tuesday. And on Tuesday, Scott, in Nike, which has earnings coming up, uh, 
They had some monstrous buying. The January 150 strike calls, 26,000 of those were bought. There was some hedging against that with stock. They paid about $2 for these options, but this has been a stock that's been on fire. The stock was trading 138. It's trading 138 now. So the opportunity is there, I think, and so I ended up buying some of these calls that actually stretch out to January. I got a second one for you in Valet. Now, I brought this up already. We talked about materials. We've already had 15 separate bullish hits since the middle of November here when the stock was actually trading around $12. Today, they're buying the March 21 strike call, Scott, for 50 cents. 40,000 of these, and they're rolling them up from the March 19 call. So this is somebody who made money and still wants to be there, but they're taking some off the table. That's smart money to me, and I'm going to follow that. I'm back in this as well. What do you, what do you think just in general about Nike's earnings? It's odd they're today. Um, you know, not a lot of people are going to be around when, when they report. And the stock, obviously, is a darling. Yeah, that, the, the only hit I hear about mm-hmm. it is valuation. Right. And, and, and that's a, a legitimate hit because when you consider how stretched it is, Scott, I think it's extraordinary. I would not be owning the stock. I am in the calls because that gives me an opportunity. But at the same time, I know my risk reward because at any hiccup at all, when you look at a stretched valuation like we're looking at at Nike, that could be a problem. That could be a harsh sell-off. I'm not expecting that, but that could be a possibility. So I think it's much better play to be in the options right now than the stock. I appreciate you giving me that take. Thank you, Pete. Uh, Ask Halftime is next. Send in your questions by video. As you see, we'll play them on the air. You can email us. Ask Halftime at CNBC.com. We're back right after this. All right, let's answer your question. Steve Weiss coming to you first today. Brandon Phoenix wants to know about Zillow. What do you think? It's up 40% in two weeks. I haven't shaved any. It's my housing play. I actually think it goes higher. And don't forget, they'll be, fully, they'll be profitable for the full year next year. So I think the stock continues to work. Okay, Pete, Jay in Toronto wants to know FedEx or UPS. FedEx you know, obviously had the stock come down after earnings. What now? Yep. Well, and, and FedEx has had some better performance of late, and I'm a UPS owner, so of course I'm, I'm very knowledgeable of that. I think UPS catches up, so I think the better trade right now would be to be in UPS over FedEx, but they're both great companies. All right, Shannon, Jeff in Indiana wants to know about Discovery. What do you think? You know, I love content, Scott, but I don't love Discovery content. I think viewers are looking for scripted content, can't miss TV. Discovery networks have a lot of casual viewers. I think it'll be an uphill battle for them. You ever watch Shark Week? I mean... What do you mean you don't like Discovery content? <laughs> I have. I have. But, I mean, if you think about that, I mean, are you signing up for a streaming subscription to your basket to watch Shark Week? I, I have a harder time buying that. All right. Bryn, lastly, I come to you. Uh, it's on Tesla. Talk to me about Tesla added to the S&P 500. Yeah, I think it's a great question. It happens tonight. So, We're always taught to believe that the S&P 500 is a passively managed index of the largest 500 companies in the S&P. It clearly is not. It is an actively managed index that the committee deems to be what their opinion of the largest 500 companies in the S&P. Tesla goes in, I believe, tucked between Google and Berkshire Hathaway at a big old market cap of $630 billion. Um, No disrespect to the committee, but um, they were definitely late to this one. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, it's a huge position going in. Um, But once again, uh, the S&P is is, is not the largest companies. It's the largest companies that the S&P committee deems to be that. And so we'll see if it turns out to be an AOL in 2000 or there's better days ahead for Tesla. You mean buying it at 669 and 60 cents is not a good thing? 
We'll see, right? I think they're late, late to the game here. All right. Bitcoin hitting new record highs. Speaking of record highs and on pace for its best week in more than a year. We'll find out how the futures traders are playing that next. Got a question for the Halftime Investment Committee? If you want to send us a video, we could play it on air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. It's time for the futures outlook. Bitcoin slightly higher today after its record rally. The crypto up 27% just since Monday, its best week since mid-2019. So we asked Scott Nations now of Nations Indexes, Jeff Kilberg of KKM Financial, how to trade it. Let's see, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Jeff Kilberg, you go first. All right, let's do this. Go Irish first and foremost. But interesting to see the Bitcoin surge. I remain constructive and optimistic on Bitcoin. And what was the game changer, Judge? We talked about it a while ago here on the Halftime Report. We talked about PayPal really adopting its 350 million users, allowing to use not only Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies as a fiat currency inside of PayPal. Well, there was just a survey that came out. 20% of those 350 million users, I'll do the math for Stephen White, 70 million of PayPal users are now using Bitcoin. So that's a big deal. And you're seeing this broader adoption. We work with a lot of family offices. They are broadening their exposure going into 2021 for cryptocurrency, specifically Bitcoin futures. But Bitcoin futures really provide a great opportunity for exposure and also how to mitigate risk. Because I know Brian Armstrong, Coinbase CEO, talked a lot about the risk asset that Bitcoin inherently is. Mm. You know Trevor's playing this weekend, right? Who, Trevor who? You know who. <laughs> it's going to be a heck of a game, buddy. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Scott Nations, Bitcoin, where's it going? Uh, well, I understand why it's higher. I mean, if you look at the dollar dollar index actually closed below 90 yesterday and with concerns about real rates inflation being higher you know we got some surprisingly high inflation data uh recently and people are looking for a dollar hedge i get that i understand that uh and if you're over 50 you're probably thinking about gold but there's so much friction when it comes to actually trading physical gold that everybody else in the world is thinking about bitcoin so i understand that has become has Bitcoin come too far too fast? Well, the dollar index is down just over 2% since the first of the month, and Bitcoin is through the roof. So I understand the use case, and this is the use case that makes sense to me, uh, but, boy, are we at lofty levels. Yeah. All right, guys, good stuff. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Scott Nations, Jeff Kilberg. Final trades after this quick break. Mr. Show, don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today. All right, welcome back. We'll do final trades in just a moment. I want to run through a couple of other things. Bryn, Airbnb initiated positive at Susquehanna. Price target $180. DoorDash initiated positive Susquehanna. Price target $185. So all these concerns about whether those two stocks represent a bubble, even though, at least in Airbnb's sake, that stock's down a lot since the, uh, you know, in the last week or a couple of weeks or so. Maybe it's had another, it's had a comeback. What do you do with Airbnb or DoorDash, if anything? 
I mean, I think, I think DoorDash IPO'd on the best revenues most likely they'll ever have and, or in the in next few years, while Airbnb IPO'd probably at the worst revenues they'll ever have. And so, I mean, I think Airbnb has years of runway of adoption, and we'll see where it settles in here. But I think it's a wonderful company. I think DoorDash, we will go out to restaurants, and I think DoorDash is incredibly overvalued here. Pete, you, uh, you own Airbnb Calls. Actually, I own the stock, Scott, not the calls. Um, yeah, and I was just fortunate enough to be in an allocation. At some point in the time, I'm not going to hold this very long because I actually think it's pretty inflated, and I think at these levels uh, I'd be more of a seller than a buyer. Okay, good stuff. Uh, let's do final trades. Shan, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, LHX, L3 Harris. So I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on defense companies um, as we move forward into the Biden administration. There's probably going to be some opportunity to pick up great long-term holds in defense that are focused on military technology. Um, and I think L3 represents that, uh, that great place to play defense over the next four or five years. Okay. Steve Weiss? Moderna. I don't understand any reason for selling the stock here despite it being, uh, you know, being up as much as it has. It's like selling Amazon in the early stages. This will be, in my view, one of the most valuable biotech companies in the world in short order with an acceleration of the pipeline. We saw the 20 to zero vote there from the FDA yesterday. Their mRNA technology is far superior to BioNTech. So I would be a buyer here, an aggressive buyer. What about the idea, and an analyst on Closing Bell we talked about yesterday, the stocks had, you know, five years of gains in, in, in uh, one year. Yeah, and by the way, you accelerated the vaccines coming to market from 10 years to eight months. So they've got yeah. a pipeline of True. 21 therapeutics and vaccines. Okay. So it's justified. Pete, you got a name for me, and then Bryn, quick, real quick. I'll give you, I'll give you Lowe's. I think Lowe's is going higher. Bryn? AT&T, HBO, watching Wonder Woman at 1984, same right. day as streaming. <laughs> Good stuff, everybody. Thank you. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.